welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things on the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll have a review of all the Premier League action and any deadline day sign-ins, a weekend of weird results in the Championship and wider EFL, and finish with everyone's National League Southside Yeovil Town. I'm your host, Alex Murphy, and once again, I'm joined by Tom Lawrence and Tom Gallagher. Boys, there's only one place to start uh, on Sunday yesterday, uh, Arsenal 3 Manchester United won. Uh, Marcus Rashford scored first, albeit against the run of play. But Arsenal replied straight away through Martin Odegaard uh, and then stole it late through Declan Rice and Gabriel Jesus. Tomo only really tells a part of the uh, story that one. Uh, must have been gutted come the end of that. Uh, yeah, devastating, isn't it? Um, to lose so late on, especially after the, um, the Garnacho disallowed goal. You're thinking after... After he wheels away and celebrates, you think, wow, perfect away performance, um, smash and grab at the Emirates. But yeah, look, it was it was a cagey start to the game, wasn't it? I thought not not a lot really happened in the sort of opening 25 minutes. It reminded me a bit like a um, sort of a heavyweight boxing match where the two boxers are just feeling each other out. Um, Onana had the ball quite a lot in the first sort of 25 minutes and he sort of calmed, I thought he calmed the atmosphere down slowed the game down and he I was really impressed with him and then obviously the game the game came to life when Rashford's goal um went in Havertz Havertz conceded the ball another slow and controversial game for Havertz um lots of incidences and he obviously gave the ball away to Ericsson great through ball from Ericsson um that's like one of his one of his main pluses as as a centre mid to have in the team um, Rashford, great finish. It was actually a, a sign of how far or how dominant Arsenal were in those first 30 minutes. It was actually Man United's first touch in the opponent's um, penalty box and it was United's first shot on goal. So, um, so yeah, definitely against the run of play. And then, obviously, the positive ball from Ericsson, positive um, side of Ericsson's game. And then, Straight away, within a minute, it was sort of the negative side of Ericsson's game where he he's not a defensive midfielder or a, a midfielder in the mould where he would get close to a sort of an Odegaard on the edge of the box. And Arsenal sort of sort of woke up and tore us a new one with that goal. Um, but yeah, th- then I thought Anana slowed the game down again, like the crowd got up and um, and in the second half, after you sort of the, the Havertz penalty incidents and then the Saka miss, I thought United might sneak like a, a, a positive result. Hoysland come on, looked a completely different animal to Martial, who, by the way, um, was absolutely shot to bits. And yeah. then, and then yeah, then, like I said, Garnaccio scores and you're thinking, wow, as a United fan, this is like a completely, um, not not undeserved result, but just uh, it was smash and grab, as I said, and then and then it gets disallowed, and from there on in, it was one of those VAR decisions that completely sort of changed the atmosphere, um, and the Emirates crowd, the, the ones who stayed anyway, um, they got sort of on their feet and cheered Arsenal one, and it just looked like Arsenal coming in waves and waves, and then Declan Rice obviously pops up with the all important goal, um, so yeah, really disappointing to go into the international break after a defeat, but I did, I think me and you, Murphy, I think we both, we both predicted a 3-1 loss, didn't we? So you, it did, it did yeah, come through and I, I should have bet on it, but I didn't, but yeah, I know I've gone round the houses there, but yeah, yeah, quite disappointing in the end. Laurie? 
Yeah, fine margins, wasn't it? Because you were millimetres away from what I think would have been an absolute masterclass of a performance. I mean, watching it as a neutral, the longer that game went on, was when we got into the 70th, 75th, 80th minute, Hoysland came on and started making things. You knew Arsenal wanted to win that game. They didn't want to drop any more points. So they kept on having to attack. And you knew chances were going to arise. And that move for the goal, which I'm so disappointed to see ruled out, I think that's the worst side of VAR. Like you, you don't know which frame the ball's left the foot and stuff like that. Those ones should be goals for me, um, and it was very, 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 very nearly a very, very good win for Man United. And if if that goal had been allowed, we'd have come away with a completely different narrative of okay, Eriksen Hag starting to get us clicking at the big teams now. We can pick up results away. When it got disallowed, you started thinking to yourself, "There's only one, only one way this game's going now." because you thought Arsenal were going to want to win this more than Man United are not going to want to concede. And the, the sort of the attitude is the one that you've had for a while now. Uh, we've, we fucked it again. We haven't got that last goal. Unlucky. And all Arsenal are doing is peppering the goal. Um, but let's talk about Declan Rice, because 100 million quid, you look for those types of moments, don't you, to sort of justify yourself maybe and validate yourself to the fans, popping up in the last minute, the 94th minute, whatever it was with the goal. Um, and yeah, it looked like pure ecstasy for him, didn't it? I think running away to the Arsenal fans after scoring that, what we thought was going to be the winner. I know Jesus went on and got a third, but brilliant moment for him. Great win for Arsenal. Disappointing for Man United. But like I said, it was just that the performance was good. It's just that last bit that you can, I don't think, get over the line with. And it would have been a completely different narrative. Like I said, now it's, oh, Sancho's come out and said something, you ended the game with Maguire and Evans and it's all down in the dumps, but it was so close to being such a very good day for Man United and it's those fine, fine margins at the top end of the Premier League, which makes Arsenal a very good side and title challenges at the moment and Man United still one needing to figure out that last little bit to get over the line into being a real contender. Yeah, completely agree. We should we should rename the podcast Fine Margins Pod, shouldn't yeah. we? Because obviously yeah. we talk about it a lot, but um, just listening to uh, the Emirates um, blare out rice, rice baby at the end. I'm just thinking. I'm covering it on Twitter. Just want to just want to just shut the shut the laptop and just go home asap. Um, but yeah, look. What I will say about the game though is Arsenal did dominate, and but you'd expect them to dominate at the Emirates. They've got a great record against United at the Emirates. Um, so on the sort of on the balance of play, um, XG, shots on target, shots, etc., and chances created, Arsenal, um, they were they were the stronger outfit. But yeah, like you say, it, it did feel like, like for instance, I feel a little bit more, as a United fan, I feel a little bit more positive about that performance than the one against Wolves on the first day of the season, even though obviously we lost yesterday and we got, and we beat Wolves. I don't know um, if I, I'll bring you in here, Murph, but yeah, what do you, what do you think about, because I think, we're getting there, and with Ho- with with the addition of Hoy- Hoyland um, up front, sort of a focal point. There are some positives, even though, of course, we have we have been um, beat at the Emirates again. Yeah, I I do actually agree. Um, I've been probably a bit scathing of United on the pod since we've started it. Um, I would have probably, if you'd have asked me this straight after full time, where. Rice, Rice, babies blaring out, and Declan Rice is just sort of like standing in awe, looking at the at the big stands there. Um, and my missus is asking if I want to start opening up presents from the baby shower. 
um, I'd have probably given you a slightly different answer. But there were positives. Hodgland was a, or Hoyland was a massive positive for me. Um, he looked like a, a focal point that we've not had. He gave Gabriel quite a bit of uh, stick over the, the sort of 30 minutes that he was on. Um, football's a game of fine margins. I'm not going to go into whether the offside was or wasn't because the technology states it. It was, and you know, there's been some decisions that United have got in that favour. There's a bit about the Hodgland penalty. There's the Havertz penalty that wasn't given, which you know, so United got the rub of the green in some instances. We didn't in another, but for the positives that were there, the fact remains that we lost again. I think it's Arsenal's biggest win of the season from their other Prem games. Uh, it's another loss for United, six points from four games. Seven, I think seven points, though it's only a point difference with a point at the Emirates would have looked a bit bit different. Uh, we finished the game with Maguire and Evans at centre-half. So there are some positives to take, but there are still real issues there. Um, and as you touched on, Tommy, where you said you think Arsenal would win 3-1, the international break is going to feel very long now. But yeah, it's it's... I think that's life as a United fan. We've had a decade of it now, haven't we? We've had a decade of little positives and one step forward and then two steps back. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of where we are at the minute. But not even like obviously a game of fine margins in terms of the offside goal, but it's winning the big moments that win those big football matches. Like when that goal was ruled offside, you need someone to step up and say, right, we ain't losing this football match now. Do you know what I mean? And you just knew, I expect it was the same as a Man United fan, but certainly as a neutral watching it, I was saying to you and a couple of a couple of the other boys in the group chat that there's another big moment here and you just knew it was going to be to Arsenal and you yeah. just felt like the ball was being sucked into the Man United net and they need to do something about that in the big games, which is going to define whether you lose or you draw or sometimes you draw and you win. Um so unlucky with the offside goal, but not to dwell too much on that. You still didn't have to go on and lose the game. I agree. And that, that's where I think that's where I think the work lies for Man United. Just that mindset of right, we're not going to lose. We've had that happen to us. We need to see it out and get the point now, which we've worked hard for. Like I said, I thought the performance was quite good. I know Arsenal probably dominated the game, but you expect that. You know, a, a title challenger, they're going to have a lot of the ball. They're going to have chances, but it wasn't. You know, I didn't think it was an absolute battering, and I always thought United look dangerous on the break. Um, and you say earlier, Teagal, Rashford went through. That was the first shot, on, or the first shot on target, or maybe the first touches in the opposition box. But clinical. That's good in those big games. First shot on target, goal. That's exactly what you want. If Man City had done that, you'd be going, "What a masterclass!" Yeah. So really, really good signs in that respect. But just those fine margins again, but in the big moments when you need someone to put the foot on the ball or take time out of the game or just make sure you ain't going to lose it, that's what you didn't have right at the very last yesterday and obviously Arsenal did. Just, um, just Tom, I'll bring you in a second. Laurie, just on the Rashford goal, clinical, any thoughts for you? Ramsdale got a hand to it, should be keeping that out. Do you think just a powerful strike and can't do too much of it? I think he's a keeper who's just getting a little bit of scrutiny since they've signed what could be seen as another potential number one option. He had the... Um, Pereira goal for Fulham. Garnacho's obviously gone through and finished as well. That was a great finish. Probably not too much Ramsdale can do about that. But anything in that for you at all? Well, I definitely think he deserves scrutiny for the Pereira goal against Fulham. But I think what happens is 
in this very rare situation where Arsenal seemingly brought in another number one to challenge for it, suddenly the spotlight's on him and everything's getting everything's getting looked into in more detail. Um, and that's exactly what we're doing now. Because for me, I mean, I think he did well to get a hand to it. I just thought it was a really good goal for Marcus Rashford and a good finish. And I don't think you can really blame him or say he should have saved that. If he had saved it, it would have been an absolute worldie. So, no, I don't think um, we can lay into Ramsdale too much for that one. Um, but we can for the Pereira one. And obviously, Arte- one thing Arteta's done by bringing David Raya in, he's given him competition, but he's also given him pressure. So as the season unfolds, we'll see how he reacts to that. But I just thought that was a really good goal for Marcus Rashford and not a lot he could have done about it. Yeah, Tommy? Um, yeah, so from one goalie to another, I want to talk about um, Andre Anana. What you, like, watching the first half especially, I thought, obviously, we... He had the ball quite a lot. And actually, um, over the course of the game, he completed 40 of his 51 passes, um, which let me just get my notes up here, um, which was more than David De Gea managed in a single Premier League game since 2015, since the 2015-16 season. Um, goes to show that the sort of the style of play for United is changing. The confidence that the defenders have in the goalkeeper having the ball is changing. I thought, um, I know Mika Richard said it on Sky Sports, he was really impressed with him. And um, and I was as well. I thought, he was, I thought it was a really good performance from Anana, uh, especially at the Emirates away from home. Got to take the sting out of the game slightly. Um, so, yeah, it, uh, impressive stuff. The only thing I will say about Anana is he's confirmed he's uh, back in the Cameroon setup today. And that means that he's going to be missing for four or five games in January, isn't it? Because of the African Cup of Nations, which, albeit great for him as an individual, selfishly as a United fan, gutted. I know we brought in the uh, Turkish number one on deadline day, so hopefully he's a good backup. But um, yeah, something to think, something to think about with Anana because I thought it was a um, a good performance from him, albeit we were obviously on the um, losing side. What I will, I just let me just add quickly as well about on from the Arsenal point of view. I thought because they did this to us last year as well. Was it was it um and Ketier scored the the ninety second minute winner. Yeah. I feel too. like there's something there's definitely something changed at that club since Arteta's come in, especially from last season. And the moment that Garnacho's goal was ruled out, the the atmosphere that quite often gets stick at the Emirates, the atmosphere completely changed and. And it did feel like that it, you know what we used to say about Old Trafford, how like the Old Trafford crowd sucks the ball into the net um, in those sort of like moments where you need a goal, especially obviously under Sir Alex Ferguson. And that's what it feels a little bit like at the Emirates at the minute where when they need a goal, the crowd gets up and and it sort of sucks the ball into net. Because I, I definitely felt like they were going to get a goal. I know that's sort of a negative a negative sort of spin on it from a United fan, but it, it did feel like that towards the end of the game. Um, I think, I think there's probably something in, and there's a few instances where it's happened where actually, when it went on to get ruled out, the worst thing that could happen for United was that Garnacho went through and scored. It's almost like that you've gone from the pure relation to you're about to win at the Emirates to suddenly you feel like you've been dealt a shit hand, even though it's just kind of the the laws of the game. And then you're like, well, actually, a point now doesn't feel that great. But you've still got 10 minutes of time to play at the Emirates where you were doing a really good defensive job. And it's almost like 
what was a moment of pure elation goes to complete and utter gutted. And you got to you got to have strong characters then to pick yourself back up from it. The only other one of note that I can think of, but be interested to see if there's any stats in it. I don't know if you boys remember England got through to the semi-finals of the Nations League, and I think we played Netherlands, and Jesse Lingard went through and scored, and I think England were on the cusp of winning it, and then it got disallowed for for offside. And all of a sudden, it's like the momentum completely shifted then to where Netherlands were all over England because because England was just completely sort of taking a body blow from it. So that's where you need your leaders though to step up, don't yeah. you? You need you need your Roy Keynes of this world to sort of take stock of the situation and say, "Look, lads, do you know what I mean?" And just sort of ease the worries of the rest of the team, but. I don't feel like we had that. And I felt like, obviously, with the introduction of Johnny Evans and Maguire, the confidence sort of sapped out of United a bit after that goal. And and you are completely right. The VAR has sort of changed football in that respect, where one decision like that completely sways the momentum of the game. And, yeah, I mean, we can go around the houses all we want. Um, and we've got two weeks to stew on that result. Um, I suppose we should we should talk about... Ten Hag's comments after the game about Jaden Sancho not making the squad for his training ground performances. Yeah. Um, what yeah, do you think so about that, Murph? I'll, I'll go first on this one because I've got quite a strong opinion on it, which is that Sancho was signed for an astronomical amount of money um, after what was like seemed to be like a two, three-year chase from United. Brought him in to be our right winger slash play some time out on the left wing as well. He suddenly came and decided he wasn't a right winger and wanted to be a left winger. I can't remember a single game where he's won it for us single-handedly. It seems to take an ages age for him to have any sort of assist or goal. I think he even got the 007 treatment, didn't he, on Sky Sports Germany. Uh, last year, he I think he went through some personal issues, so I won't, won't get on his back for that at all. But I think the club dealt with it well. We gave him time off to deal with that. We then let him go and... I think Ten Hag put him on a bit of a fitness regime to try and get him back up to the standards that were needed at the midway point of a season for him to come back in. He then came back in, didn't particularly light up any game after that. He started pre-season in the false nine position, which I think is more just rather than for him as a position to play, there's more that we didn't have a striker to play. Um, and he did okay there, but it's never going to start there. And now you've got this where he's being, it's being said that he's not training up to the required standard to play for Manchester United. And I just think for him to come out and make that statement afterwards to say, don't read everything you read when it's come straight from the manager's mouth and he's a scapegoat, I think it's just an absolute liberty. He's on 350 grand a week. I think he's our second highest paid player now that Rashford signed a new deal. Before that, he was first, might be joint with Casemiro. And I honestly, I, I don't think that he has a future at Man United. I don't think he should be involved now after that. Uh, and I really don't see a way back for him. And I fully expect him in January to be loaned out and I, I wouldn't surprise me if Ten Hag actually wanted him gone in the summer but the funds weren't there to replace him and yeah my view is that he shouldn't play for the club again so yeah I'm well and truly sat on the fence for that one Laura? <laughs> yeah I mean I agree with what you've said about his performances since he's come to the club and obviously they've been underwhelming considering the the sort of hype around him and the money that he's being paid and all that sort of thing and possibly not quite what you thought you were getting the only thing I would say is yesterday is he didn't start that. Eric Ten Hag didn't need to single him out um, or say what he said in the press. He could have just said, 
something a lot more um, vague that didn't sort of stir the pot. And I just think Jaden Sancho's statement was, it was a little bit um, sort of rushed and you could tell it was done out of emotion. He said he didn't want to go into things. Well, you're the one that's brought it up. He said he's been made a scapegoat, but Eric Tannehag wasn't blaming him for a defeat or anything like that. He was just saying he wasn't in the squad because he didn't train well enough. So I, I can see... I can see why Jaden Sancho's angry, and I think he's got every right to come back and say something if Eric Ten Hag singled him out um, in a way that managers don't generally tend to do. But one thing I will say is that I do agree with you that it probably spells the end for him at Man United because I don't think managers tend to do that sort of thing unless it's right at the very end of the relationship and that both parties are probably looking in different directions. So um, I think it was probably something that was maybe bubbling under the surface for a while. You said you wouldn't be surprised if they were trying to move, in, move him on in the summer. Um, maybe that's what Jaden Sancho was alluding to when he said, I won't go into it. Maybe Ten Hag was asking him to go or, or whatever, and it didn't transpire. Um, but I don't think Jaden Sancho um, is not within his rights to reply when Ten Hag's decided to make a story out of why he's not in the squad. But at the same time, um, obviously, it's not healthy from Jaden Sancho to make that reply so publicly, particularly after having lost like that. Can I just come in there, Loro? So, I agree with you in terms of I do, I do think Ten Hag probably misjudged the situation slightly, but he he basically got asked the question, didn't he? Specifically, so the reporter brought up Sancho. It wasn't like Ten Hag. Yeah, but when you but when you're a manager, you've got a responsibility, I think, to conduct yourself in the appropriate manner. And if you're put on the spot by a reporter, you need to be more... I mean, I hate Pep Guardiola, but he wouldn't have said that. Do you but know what I mean? Say on, I was just going to say on Pep Loro, actually. What, what, I'm, I'm not sure if this is even remotely similar. Did Pep come out after the game last year when they were asking about why KP wasn't getting game time? Did he call him out for not being fit enough or something yeah, like him, that? He called him overweight. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it's not one size fits all. Different players have different mentalities and need to be managed in different ways and like we've seen from Jaden Sancho in the past I don't think he's someone that you come out and blast in the media he's someone that's obviously been a bit short of confidence anyway yeah. um, with Man United and with the England squad he's been in and out of it I don't think he's someone that you would want to in Pep might have come up with KP you know he might be someone completely different and we haven't seen a lot of Calvin Phillips since then but he's obviously Pep commands a respect at Man City whereby I think Calvin Phillips probably thinks oh right I better get my act together then but it hasn't happened at Man United here, has it? And like you say, the, the reporter asked him the question. He didn't need to answer it in that way. He sort of went back and um, bit, if you like, and gave the reporter a story to make. And it made a big one. And it provoked the reaction from Jaden Sancho, which all I'm saying is I don't think he's solely to blame for this story now. I think yeah. Eric Ten Hag um, is equally to blame, but not for the performances of Sancho. Of course, he's got accountability for that. And he hasn't been as good as what we thought he'd be. And I can imagine that... Manchester United fans will probably side with Eric Ten Hag because Ten Hag looks like a good acquisition and Sancho doesn't. But in this isolated incident, I do think that Ten Hag um, is to blame just as much as Jaden Sancho for making a story out of it. What I will say as well is any normal club, um, any normal club would, this would sort of spell the end of the road for the player. Um, but Man United are not a normal club. We pay extortionate wages and we cannot sell players for toffee. And so I can see a situation where Sancho just sort of spends, he, he maybe go on loan or something where United pay the bulk of his wages, but 
I can't see us being able to sell him unless it's the Saudi. Um, because he's not, like you say, because he's on 350 grand a week. So he's got three years left on that deal. Uh, if you're Jaden Sancho, why would you believe in? And actually, a part of his statement, he did say he will give us all. Like, he basically made sure to sort of round that statement off by saying he will give us all for the club. You said there about Ten Hag um, sort of maybe not not having the backing that other clubs would with player-manager disputes. He has managed to get Ronaldo out of the club. He's stripped Harry Maguire of the captaincy and stopped giving him game time. He told Sancho last season that he wasn't fit enough and went went away. I don't think that that maybe previous managers like Oli, Jose, Louis van Gaal, who may have been undermined by big characters and big kind of sign-ins in the dressing room. I don't think that that is happening. And that's why I don't think that there is a way back for Sancho. And I, I probably think, to be honest, that that's the right thing for the club to do, albeit we probably are still paying off his transfer fee and there'd be a big financial loss for us. I think that would be the only pressing that he might get under current ownership to make keep Sancho in the squad and make it work. But if new ownership come in, I think Sancho would be the first to leave. But that, that's what I was going to say, actually, Murph. That's what I think makes it even harder to understand about Eric Ten Hag coming out and saying that. If it's someone that's going to be difficult to shift on anyway, and it is someone that you want to shift on, the last thing you want to come out and do is say that he's not training very well because it makes him look like an even less appealing acquisition for another club. Yeah, can I just um, jump in there, Lauro? So, but really, the reality is the transfer the transfer window's shut. So he's not thinking about getting rid of Jaden Sancho. His comments there, in my opinion, are... Purely, 100% honest and 100% to say to... J to It's like a challenge to Jaden Sancho to say, start training better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's almost yeah, like he's, he's exasperated all internal conversations with Jaden Sancho, where he's probably pulling him to his office every week and being like, Jaden, what are you doing? You're 23. You've got the world at your feet. You can be an absolute superstar here. And maybe this is like that exasperated final Draw, dig. Yeah. Can yeah. I go public and see if he reacts to the embarrassment of public scrutiny almost as like a last chance saloon? But yeah, well, the the proof will be in the pudding with that one, won't it? And we'll see how Jaden Sancho's Man United career um, evolves this season. And just finally, before we do move on, he's not alone in it, is it? Um, Gareth Southgate called Jaden Sancho out in his training performances in England squad. I, I don't think he's played as he since the Ukraine quarter final game or, or whichever game it was that Sancho did play. Last, so that's that's the England and Man United manager calling him out for his standards. So he's got to buck his ideas up um, if he's to have a future at national or top Premier League level. Boys, we best move on, otherwise we'll be accused of being a uh, talk of the devil's podcast, only talking about United. Um, another game on Sunday, so Liverpool, Aston Villa, and what potentially I think I even said Villa would get a result and thought it'd be a banana skin for Liverpool. It didn't turn out that way, so. Uh, a first goal for Shabozlai for Liverpool, uh, an own goal for Matty Cash and then Mo Salah uh, adding a third. A really comprehensive win for them against a decent side in Villa. And Lauro, Liverpool have made a sneaky good start to the season now. Yeah, they have made a sneaky good start to the season under the radar a little bit. You sort of look at the table and you think, oh, actually, Liverpool haven't dropped many points. And I think that Shabozlai who scored yesterday, he's looked actually really, really good. Um, I was I've been watching a few of the games back and I watched the highlights of the Villa game and I think he looked really good in the middle of the park and maybe is that one that we were talking about that can be a bit of a presence for them and can make things happen but also give them a bit of steel in there. Um, I don't know if I'm being a bit harsh on Villa but I think they look weak at the back. 
I think that's their Achilles heel at the moment. I, I mean, you look at the. I mean, it's easy to say because they lost five one to Newcastle and they've they've got beat beat free zip yesterday. But just looking at some of the goals against the Newcastle. Uh, in the Newcastle game and looking at some of the goals that they conceded against Liverpool. And I'm not just talking about the own goal because that can happen, but I thought, I didn't think Paul Towers looked very good. I didn't think Ezri Konza looked very commanding. I actually think they missed Tyrone Mings a little bit, which is a player that comes in for quite a lot of uh, scrutiny and is maybe a bit Marmite, but I, I think they're leaking goals at the back and I don't think they're, okay, look, we're talking about Newcastle, Liverpool, their two defeats, which are difficult ones. Um, but if they want to be up there in the upper echelons of the Premier League, they're going to have to find a way of getting points from these teams. And at the moment, I think that they're shooting themselves in the foot by giving away some really soft goals. You know, the thing is with Villa and that Unai Emery um, high line is that this will happen. And the thing is with that high line is if you're not, sort of pitch perfect, um, inches perfect on your high press, then it could get picked apart. And actually, Trent Alexander-Arnold, I think he, before he got injured, he, he basically ran the show. Um, 20 of his 69 successful passes were um, were over the top of that Villa back four. So obviously, they're playing a high line. Trent's got the ball and he's not, he's not under pressure. And he's just clipping balls to Salah, to Nunes and to Diaz. Um, to run onto, and it sort of caused Villa problems all day. Um, just a quick story, boys, about about um, Cash's own goal. So obviously, as we all know, and as we all slagged off, the game wasn't on Sky Sports. So I was covering it on Twitter, and um, and while we, while we were watching the Palace Wolves game, I was at my brother's barbecue, and I'm tweeting, and then Cash scores. So I shout out Cash, and before I could say scores an own goal, my brother Tobe goes, get in there. And then I say, he scored an own goal. And he's going, oh, bollocks. Because <laughs> he's got cash in his fantasy team. And obviously, after his um, brace against Burnley, was it last week? I was quite chuffed with that because I haven't got cash in my fantasy team. Um, but yeah, what I would like about that game, like you say, Liverpool, very, very solid performance. Uh, Darwin Nunes, He's a weird one, isn't he? He sort of flicks between prime Luis Suarez and then Timo Werner and Nico Jackson wrapped in one. He missed, like, the, the cash-own goal, for instance. He, he he hit the post. He should have scored that one. He missed an absolute sitter in the second half. I feel like if you own him on FPL, he must be so frustrating because you feel like he could... He should be scoring every single week. And actually, I think we spoke about this before, that, that there's definitely going to become a time in the season where he just goes on a really hot streak and bangs in like 10 in six games or something because he's sort of, he's there or thereabouts, but not quite. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Salah in the last few days of the Saudi window. I know I said in a previous podcast that um, the Saudi window shut on the 20th of September, but that was actually the FIFA's website was incorrect, not um, not Football Tweet. And it's actually... <laughs> Yeah, it's actually um, finishes on the 7th. So they've got a couple of days to see what happens there. My prediction now has slightly changed from last week. I actually think he might stay and then leave in 2024. But um, we'll have to wait and see over the next couple of days. Yeah. I did, Nunes on the cusp of, of being world-class at all times. It's just whether he actually ever turns into that. And his his finish for the Matty Cashone goal and the one salad drops over to the uh, fast stick and he sort of like doesn't get enough on it and it goes wide. They're the ones that if you're going to be a 30 goal, uh, a season striker need to go in. The 
he he's scoring the difficult ones, like the brace against Newcastle, where it's postage stamp across Nick Pope from edge of the area. Those ones are just your bread and butter tap-ins, get your goal. Suddenly he's got four in two games and he's had an unbelievable start to the season. So yeah, it's it's um it's something he's gonna have to work on, but he, he stuff like stuff happens team. around him though. Yeah, stuff he's happening around him. He's like an epicenter of danger for the opposing team. So yeah. yeah, he does seem to have a habit of missing easy some easy chances. But I mean, he's still quite a young guy as well, and he's got I think he's got something like twelve in thirty three for Liverpool, which I know isn't set in the world alike, but it it's not rubbish. And if he's not scoring them, he did get an assist at the weekend, and he he is causing chaos around him, and he must be a nightmare to play against. So like I think you've both alluded to there, I think he's going to explode at some point and become a real world-class player. And when he does, is can he stay there? But I don't think there's any doubt that he's a top, top player and he's going to turn into an even better one. Tomo, did I did I see a stat and that was something like, before yesterday, before the game started, Nunes had something like one FPL point for every minute he's played for Liverpool or something like that, just based off him coming off the bench and causing chaos. That might... that. Sounds a bit wrong in my head now, but it was something ridiculous like that. So, as Laurie says, he causes chaos. He's the epicenter, as Laurie says, of just destruction and stuff happens around him. But yeah, it feels like he could be 30 goals a season with some sort of finishing coach. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Just quickly before we move on, and just um, a little quiz to round off the Liverpool Villa game. And this one probably is aimed more at you, Laura. Okay. So Dominic Trabozlai became the fourth Hungarian to score in the Premier League yesterday um, after Zoltan Gira and then two others. Can you name one of them? Well, you took the one I was going to say. Um... I, knew, I knew you'd get Gira, to be fair. So that's why I've gone. I, I said that one. There's... Hungarian goal scorer. Thomas Kushak didn't score, did he? No, half right, half right. Thomas is his first name. I'll I'll give it to you because we could labour on because actually one of them I've never heard Who of. Who did he play for? Who did he play for? Tamas Priskin. Oh, yeah. And then uh, the other one was Akos Busaki, who I have... Oh, I've, yeah. I must admit, I've for never QPR. heard of him. Must have been for Yeah, ex-QPR and Plymouth. He was a good player, Busaki. <laughs> Thanks for that quiz, Tom. Um, yeah, so... Just a parting thought for me on Villa before we move on. Uh, played midweek again, didn't they? Thursday against Hibs. I think they were 5-0 up. Started a few of their first teamers in that game. Um, they've already played six games to what would be Liverpool's four. Just little little things like that. Again, fine margins. Don't think there was fine margins in the game. I think it was as comfortable a home victory as, as Liverpool could ask for and a great result for them. And also, I said about Liverpool's sneaky good start. Actually, I thought that they must have a run of hard games coming when I checked. They've actually already gone to Newcastle, gone to Chelsea and beat Villa at home. So that's an ominous start for them. They'll probably have some winning fixtures coming up. So, yeah, they uh, they might suddenly be the danger to City that no one was expecting at the start of the season. Boys, we'll move on. Take you back to Saturday. Uh, Brighton 3, Newcastle 1. Uh, Evan Ferguson, Patrick. And Callum Wilson with a, a late consolation, which I'm sure he'll be bragging about on the old Footballers Football podcast. But Tomo, you said on a, a pod earlier when we were going through the Brighton talent that Evan Ferguson would be a hundred million pound striker. Most kind of reviews and pundits since that game have said exactly the same. Uh, what a what a day for him and and what a prospect. 
Great day for Evan Ferguson. A terrible day for FPL Chunks FPL team. Yeah, um, certified Glover boy. I had a nightmare and brought out Ferguson. I just thought, for some reason, I just thought after their defeat in the last game that he might be one for the chopping block of Deserby, Deserby's um, changes. But yeah, he was impressive, wasn't he? He's 18 years old. He had four shots in the game. All four were on target. Obviously, three went in. Um, his stats for Brighton, 32 games, 15 goals, four assists. That's absolutely incredible for an 18-year-old. He's signed a new contract with Brighton, I think, at the, at the end of last season until 2028. So, Brighton are in a strong position. But and, and I think we were talking off-air about... Um, about the sort of teams that might need a number nine next season, he'd be perfect. He'd be a perfect replacement for Harry Kane. United, okay, Hoyland came on and he looked good. To be fair, but if he doesn't pull up trees, United will need another number nine. Arsenal potentially could need another number nine if Gabriel Jesus doesn't get the numbers that they'd want from him. If Erling Haaland says, "I fancy Real Madrid," you, you might you might think City might need him. Um, so yeah, look, he he was class, wasn't he? And it's something to be really excited about. What I wanted wanted to come on to quickly was obviously he would get the, all the plaudits, but once again, Pascal Gross and Billy Gilmore in the centre mid, they looked different gravy, and and went and I thought it would be a good a good challenge in the midfield battle. They're coming up against Tonali, Bruno G, and obviously Joe Linton, but they I both... was so disappointed in them. Them free for Newcastle. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I did read somewhere that Joe Linton was carrying a knock. So I, he wasn't obviously at the races. Um, Tonali, for the first goal, looked a bit lang like a little bit lazy, to be honest. And yeah, I, lazy. Yeah, and you just, you, you sort of look into moments like that and you think, oh, did he really want to leave AC Milan? I know, <laughs> I know you're sort of overanalyzing <laughs> things, but he did look lazy on that first goal. Um, and yeah, look, some worrying signs for, for Eddie Howe. To be honest, um, and and he's got a big challenge there at Newcastle, sort of a different challenge where this season for the first time they've got two starting players for each position, and it's sort of harder to keep everyone interested and keep or not interested, keep everyone happy. You're looking at Callum Wilson coming off the bench and scoring two two defeats in a row. If he doesn't start ahead of Isak next week, or if he doesn't start next week. You think, or sorry, not next week, but after the international break, he'll he'll be fuming. So it's a difficult it's a difficult challenge for Eddie Howe and one to keep an eye on. Laurie, yeah, I think I think he's managed Wilson and Isaac quite well up to now, but I do think it's ha easier to keep players happier when you're winning. And I think we all said before the start of the season that there were there was going to come a time this this season where Eddie Howe's going to have to navigate his way through some sticky times. I think it's come a little bit earlier than he would have liked. And I think there's a, a big gravitas towards that Liverpool result because that sort of made the Brighton one even even more important. And then they go and lose that. Now it's an international break when you, you're sort of stewing on it. Um, and then when we come back, it won't be long to the Champions League start. So um, I don't actually think there's too much to worry about at Newcastle, but it feels like there is because they've had a difficult start in terms of the run of fixtures. It's a good job they beat Villa because on you know I know they smashed them, but on another day that's a really difficult fixture, and Eddie Howe it could be looking even worse for him. But hopefully they don't jump on his back too quickly because obviously he should have a lot of 
um, a lot of stock behind him because of what he did last season. But I was really, really disappointed with them on Saturday. I thought they looked so soft-centred. And like you talk about the first goal, the second goal, when Evan Ferguson picked it up 25 yards out, there was no one around him. He was facing his own goal. He turned round, like, not even that quickly. And it was like, oh, right. The whole pitch has opened up for me and I'm just going to bend it in. You don't see that goal very often and certainly not against a team like Newcastle. And I think when you've got a midfield in there of, you know, like we've talk, talked about, Jolinton, Tonali and Bruno Gomares, you don't expect that sort of thing to happen. Um, so really disappointing goals, really disappointing result and a really disappointing day for Newcastle, who I actually thought would win that game. Yeah, do you know what? Let me just come in on that second goal, actually. I thought that was a good example of how much they missed Sven Botman. Yeah, because yeah. he is a top quality centre half and by far their best um, defender. And I thought Dan Byrne, he just dropped off. They Well, they both dropped off, but I thought it was Dan Byrne in particular. He dropped off, um, basically just let him have like the freedom of the Amex. And yeah. I don't think a fit Sven Botman, um, I don't think... He smells the danger. Yeah, yeah, he smells the danger or he just gets... And actually, as a centre mid, as a Newcastle centre mid, the last thing you want to do on the turn is, um, is look behind you and see um, Byrne and Shah all dropping back and you sort of five yards off Ferguson thinking, well, why are you dropping back? Why are you dropping back? And then all of a sudden, he's... I mean, it's a great finish. Um, but like these Premier League players... If they have that time and space, we'll come on to James Madison's goal as well. They have that time and space on the edge of the box. They're, they've got the quality and they just they just finished. But yeah, it was a, I thought it was a big example of how important Sven Botman was to that team. Yeah, yeah, I, you're I, right. You don't expect to see that kind of space open up like that. It just didn't look right when he when he when you watch the replay and he just turns and slots it in. Like you say, Premier League players, if they're given that time, they are gonna they are gonna find the corners of the goal, especially someone like Evan Ferguson. So it just didn't look right, and you're probably right to pick up on Sven Botman not being in there. But one other thing, I was just gonna say to you boys, we spoke about the England squad last week and Nick Pope not being in there. Difficult day for him as well. Um, I think a poor kick led to a chance and then I think he should have probably held the shot that um, led to Evan Ferguson's first goal not looking too good for him at the moment No, there's something not right there is it we've had a few uh, few thoughts in the WhatsApp about what that could be uh, be down to but but nothing kind of come out about that at all um, might just be a bad run of form but yeah Billy Gilmore's shot followed up and, and sort of parried into the path of Ferguson dropped from the England squad um, maybe not too much he could do about either even Nunes goal, if honest, that um, against Liverpool. I thought Ferguson's second goal, a great finish where he's been given all the time and space in the world, but again, just didn't look right. We see a lot of Premier League goals, don't we? Watch a lot of football and we can just tell when a goal doesn't look right. It didn't seem like that should be a goal. Um, yeah, something not quite right there for Nick Pope. So, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully he's back to his best soon. That shot that he parried that led to the first goal, I don't think he parried it. I think he, when you look at it, he tried to catch it. And that's oh, right. even, it's almost even worse. Yeah. It's like a keeper should know when it's too hard to handle and it needs parrying away or needs punching away or, or whatever. Goalkeepers come in for quite a lot of criticism when they don't catch it and they punch it. But I've heard Ben Foster say it on his podcast before. There's a decision to make within that split second and that's what makes you a good keeper, making sure that you can do that. So if you're trying to catch a ball and you've got it wrong and it's led to a goal, yeah, not great. Yeah. Boys, we'll, we'll move on because um, lots of other games to to cover. But great win for Brighton. Um, I've touched on before that I think Newcastle are a club who could make a really, really rash decision uh, on Eddie Howe. Um, 
he is now going to have players who are wanting to start. He's also going to have players who are probably maybe holding off in some Premier League fixtures because for the first time in their careers, they're going to be taking on PSG, Dortmund and Milan in Champions League games and wanting to be fit for them. Interesting to see how they navigate them, be amazing for the club, amazing for the fans, amazing for the players. But he is managing a completely different football club to what he was last year, Eddie Howe. And uh, not victim of own success, but but sort of those sort of lines that he's now having to to deal with. So going to be interesting to see how he fares between now and Christmas. Um, probably the biggest shock result of the weekend, boys, came at Stamford Bridge. So um, Forrest won 1-0 uh, against Chelsea. Anthony Alanga scoring uh, just after half time. Wasn't an eighth goal in a row for our boy, but an assist for him for... Uh, team I won you, but Tomo, great result for Forrest. And a uh, question for you, how do you spend a billion pounds as Chelsea owner and have a team that's still so bad? Well, you spend it on players who are under the age of 23 and not quite not quite consistent at the minute. And obviously they spend, spend a lot of money on a lot of players and it takes time to gel. Um, but we just spoke about one number nine in Evan Ferguson. And we'll talk about another one in Nico Jackson. He is the complete opposite to, to Evan Ferguson at the minute. Like when Evan Ferguson goes through on goal or has a chance, you're thinking, okay, that's going to be a goal. When it when the ball drops to Jackson perfectly, you're thinking, how's you're thinking basically, how's he going to find a way to miss this? And 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 to be honest, we spoke in the earlier games that we I was quite impressed um, with his performances. But to be like, let's be honest, it's starting to feel like a bit of a trend where he he might just have a little bit of the Danny Welbecks in him instead of instead of the Didier Drogba. Um, yeah, look, I, I watched obviously didn't watch the game. It's three p.m.s on um on Saturday, but watched the uh, the highlights on Match of the Day, and there was a there's a there's a, a wild sequence of play at the end between um Michaelo Mudrich and uh, Anthony Alanga which I thought summed up the game perfectly where Alanga uh Mudrich gives the ball away and then Alanga makes a like a lung busting long distance run and um Mudrich to in his defense gets back works hard gets back but then just gets absolutely spun and I just thought yeah that there's a there's a sort of a difference in the sort of um the mentalities of those players at the minute where just sort of everything's going wrong for Mudrich and at the minute, and obviously Alanga, he's coming good at, at Forest, and it's encouraging signs for him in his new club. What I wanted to do actually was quickly just give a shout out to um, Joe Worrell's performance. I know um, Steve Cooper mentioned it in the aftermath of the game, but he's obviously gone through um, a family tragedy this this week, an un unexpected family tragedy with his um, uncle passing away in the line of duty. Um and obviously he was he was unbelievable. And Forrest were really good. They were really good. And and last season they were terrible away from home. And this season they've had a difficult run of fixtures away from home. They played Arsenal away from home in the first game. Then they obviously went to Old Trafford. And now they've gone to Stamford Bridge. And in both and all three of those games, some really encouraging signs for the team. And obviously Steve Cooper is a very good manager. And I've and after a sort of a win like that at Stamford Bridge, a statement win. I fully expect them to um, to grow and grow and, and almost guaranteed not a relegation scrap, but we'll see. Yeah. Steve Cooper, I mean, that's an example of the chairman reaping his rewards 
of sticking with a manager that I think there was a couple of times last season after a ridiculously hectic summer where there was he he went odds on to be sacked. And I think at one point he got a new contract and then there was another time where he could have been sacked and he wasn't. And he's a very, very good manager. And if, if you stick with a good manager for long enough and show him loyalty, they will come good. So well done, Steve Cooper. Echo what you said about Joe Worrell. Um, but Murph, you asked the question, how do you spend a billion pounds and be that bad? You don't need to be a pundit to see 76% possession, 21 shots, eight corners. They absolutely dominated the game. And I know I haven't got everything right <laughs> in my predictions on this podcast since we've started, but what they need, and I think we spoke about where Evan Ferguson could go next, that's exactly the club that need him because Nicholas Jackson is not a goal scorer. He might be quite a good football player and he might be quite infectious to watch and he might get himself about, but he is not a goal scorer. You can just see the way that he's missing chances. It's even the way that he's coming onto them, the way that he's sticking out legs where he should be arriving and things like that. I mean, the open goal almost that he missed at the weekend was absolutely comical. Um, and I just think you could see it coming a mile off with him. And I know he got his goal against Luton, but he probably should have had two or three that night as well. Um, if they have Evan Ferguson up front, or if they have Alexander Isaac up front, or if they have a number nine that can score goals, they're winning that football match, I think. Um, so I don't think it's a case of Chelsea being really bad. I think there's some... Some good signs, maybe not on Saturday, but particularly from, I'm thinking about the West Ham game in my head where they've looked very good, but they haven't won. And part of that, or a big, big part of that, is um, is not having a goal scorer to put the ball in the back of the net and finish off those chances they're creating. Yeah, it feels like we say the same thing about Chelsea every week, doesn't it? Uh, with that, and Laurie, you're, you're bang on. And um, I have still held off adding Nico Jackson to my uh, fantasy team. But Ollie Watkins, you need to pull your finger out. Otherwise, you are going, but maybe not for Nico. Uh, Laura, come to you because your team had a big win um, at the weekend. Tottenham 5, Burnley 2. Um, all aboard the big Ange bus. Um, you're, you're a massive white now at the moment, are you really, for Spurs? Uh, Sonny Hattrick uh, went 1-0 down uh, at the start for Lyle Foster. But Son Hattrick, Romero... James Madison, who's making an unbelievable start uh, and a late consolation for Josh Brownell. Uh, but 5-2, another amazing display and Spurs look electric. They do look electric and it was a very good display. And we know my admiration towards Jan Postacoglu. But do you know what I thought watching that game? And I've only seen the highlights. Burnley reminded me of Bielsa's leads in the Premier League when it wasn't going well. You know where we just tried to play the same when we come up against... Tottenham or Arsenal or Man United and we're 2-0 down in two minutes. I know it didn't happen like that at the weekend, but some of the goals that, again, we said this earlier about another team, some of the goals that Tottenham scored just didn't look right. Burnley are trying to do, trying to move forward in a certain way and then as soon as they're sprung on, suddenly it's four on one at the back and they're playing one, Tottenham are able to play one-twos in and around the penalty area and Son's going through clean on goal three or four times. They're leaving James Madison in acres of space, 20 yards out, which is basically a tapping for him and a player of that quality. So um, obviously another very good win on the road for Tottenham. But I almost think that was more the disorganisation um, and, you know, a, a continuance of a very poor start to the season for Burnley. And dare I say it, I've seen a few tweets and a few murmurs coming out of Camp Burnley getting on companies back already because apparently there was some very bizarre substitutions made, some very bizarre selections in terms of personnel and who was playing where. Um, and that's another one that could creep up on you in terms of pressure being piled on a manager. But 
great three points for Spurs and brilliant for them to go into the international break, having only dropped a couple of points. Um, but a lot, a lot of work to do for Burnley. You know, that's a great example. That game was a good example of how quickly um, sort of your managerial, not reputation, but like how quickly the sort of the narrative around a manager changes because just sort of it, early on in the summer, if reports are to be believed, company was Tottenham's first choice. And actually he turned them down and signed a new five-year deal with Burnley. And then they bring in their second choice, maybe third choice in Ange Postacoglu. And and you see sort of how quickly and how positively he's he started. And like you say, Burnley haven't had the best of starts. They didn't have the best of starts in the championship last season. I think a lot of turnover in players, et cetera, et cetera. So, but yeah, he, like the pressure, if you lose games at the end of the day at this level, the pressure is always going to build. But I just wanted to talk about Tottenham. They just looked, they looked different gravy. And I know, okay, yeah, I do get what you're saying, Noro. Burnley look quite easy to play against. Um, but I'm just, I was sat there watching the game and I was thinking, I wonder if Harry Kane's over in Munich now thinking, wow, that looks enjoyable to play in, finally. After the, after three or four seasons under Mourinho, Nuno and Conte, where it was dead negative football, albeit, I mean, I was going to say successful, but no, not successful. Let's put it right. And then now you've got Ange coming in and people say, well, Madison, would Kane and Madison play well together? Because Madison's obviously so good at that number 10 position and free role. But actually, I think Kane would have slotted in perfectly. He would have realised that we've now finally got a player to play that sort of playmaker role. And now he can just concentrate on bagging them in. Um so, yeah, just a little thought. Maybe, maybe Kane, I know he's at Munich now and, OK, yeah, like that is the highest level and he's going to be playing Champions League football, blah, blah. Maybe I'm. Maybe the point is moot, but um, I just thought they looked so good to watch and and it's interesting because you've got Richarlison dropped because he's obviously not informed. Brennan Johnson to come in after the 50 million um, or 47.5 million move. They've got like, there's a lot of positivity around the club. So exciting times for Spurs fans. Yeah, and they've also got people like Basuma, who was the forgotten man last year, but is coming and has turned into one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. Saar next to him looks really good as well. And then the, the full-backs, and I think Spurs have been struggling for their full-backs or wing-backs for a long, long time. I know there's been a systematic change, but they look so good as well. And you make the point about Harry Kane, Tottenham's odds to win the league have been slashed from 50 to 1 to 20 to 1 over the weekend. And is there a thought for HK sat over in Bavaria thinking, blimey, if I was there, are we challengers? Are they? My my view is on that is probably a bit left field, as in Spurs have been, in a way, a little bit released from shackles with, with Kane. It feels a little bit like how United were with Ronaldo, where Ronaldo became our goal scorer when he came back in and it was all about getting the ball to Ronaldo. Now Spurs seem to be like, oh, well, some will pop up with a goal. Madison's popping up with a goal. Kulisevsky's popping up with a goal. It's not always like, where's Harry Kane? Where's Harry Kane? Let's get the ball into him and he'll win us the game. They've got options and different avenues and people they can bring off the bench who are all thinking, actually, no, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the person who steps up and wins this game. And in a really weird way to say it, because Kane's still England's best player and greatest ever goal scorer, 
I think Tottenham have been released a little bit by him going. So I think a good move all round. And I don't necessarily think if Kane was here now that they would have got off to that start. So where do you see Spurs finishing the league this year? Is it top four? I would like to get through another month before passing judgment on that. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure top four. But no, am I right in saying, Tomo, no European football at all for Spurs? No European football. What I will say with Spurs is James Madison needs to stay fit. And obviously, if you look over his history with Leicester, he did, he does, he is injury prone, basically, isn't he? So you expect him to miss a few games. Hopefully he doesn't. If he stays fit all game, at all all season, he is, he is, honestly, he's so good. Like that, that was it, the, I think it was Sonny's hat trick where, like, he's so good, Madison. He's so clever. He, he dropped deep, just like took the ball off the centre half. And then he realised that, the, like, he just quick, he quickened up the pace of the game. He went, he um, clipped one round the corner, got it back and then played straight through the lines. And all of a sudden, Tottenham were running at Burnley's defence, um, tired, beleaguered Burnley's defence. And I think it was, I think it was Sonny's hat-trick for that goal. And yeah, so I'm, look, Madison's the one. If he stays fit, then they've got every chance of getting top four. And actually, I think with the way the um, UEFA um, coefficient works this season, is if England, if English teams do well in, the, in Europe, which you obviously expect them to do, given how strong we are these days, that the top five next season could qualify for the Champions League. So you could see Tottenham getting fifth and qualifying for the Champions League, which will be a successful season in my eyes. Yeah, the, the final point I make on Spurs, boys, is that I didn't see them as someone who United had to worry about this year for top four, and now they definitely are. And that's another team that we're trying to fit into those four spaces. And yeah, I think that's a really worrying sign for United that Spurs are like that. And I'll just say that Spurs were in my top four in our start of the season predictions, which I think is in one of the earlier podcasts. So, congratulations, big um, boys! We'll have a roundup of the other Premier League games. Um, Man City five one Fulham. Uh, everyone who listens to the pod knows our thoughts on City. Harland hat trick. He's a freak. Uh, Alvarez got him off to a flying start. Tim Ream equalised. Uh, Nathan Aki scored just on the stroke of half time, which killed the game for Fulham. Was an absolutely disgraceful. VAR decision should have never have stood. And Marco Silva was quite right in saying that if his team had got through to one all uh, at half time, it would have been a completely different game. But you've got Haaland and yeah, Tomo, I bet you wish he triple captained him this week. Can I can I just quickly say actually? So um obviously couldn't watch it because it was 3 p.m. Um they kept on saying on um on Gillette that he was having a really quiet game, Haaland, and he looked terrible. And I obviously did a little bit of um research before the pod. He had 17 touches all game. Yeah, 17 touches, three goals and one assist were four of them. Yeah, insane. So, like, he is su such an efficient player. And, yeah, you, you are right. I was watching or obviously seeing the goals and the assists come in and thinking, wow, as if I accidentally triple-captained him last week instead of this week. Um, but, yeah, go on. Another another win for them. Uh Early kickoff saw Sheffield United host Everton. So uh, Decore put Everton in front before Archer uh, scored, um, nearly scored a second, went back in off Pickford's goal for 2-1 at halftime. Uh, Dan Juma equalised, but I'd say that Archer looks a bit of a prospect and Laura maybe one for the FPL side. 
at his price. Yeah, definitely, because I think he's 4.5, 4.6, something like that. And him and McBurney look really, really good. I watched that game. They look really good up front together, and they combined for the goals really well. And Archer was unlucky not to have a brace because the Pickford own goal was like a 25-yard shot that come back off the post. So, um, yeah, Sheffield United are looking better than I thought they were. I still think they'll be down there at the, at the end of the table uh, come the end of the season. But, um, yeah, I think the most worrying thing for Everton is I think that looked like a really evenly matched game. A two yeah. evenly matched sides that played out a two-all draw. So, um, yeah, I, I, I see them. I know we say it every podcast. I see them being right down there at the end of the season. But um, some some positive signs for Sheffield United. I um I didn't get to watch the game, but obviously you know I uh, I, I was raving about Beto after his game against Doncaster. Uh, his performance in a word, Laurie. I didn't realise he played. Great. Fuck off. Oh. It- <laughs> 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 I was I was hoping you were going to say encouraging. <laughs> no, like it looks a handful, but obviously found it easier um, against Doncaster than he did at Bramall Lane. Yeah, the I will just I will just sign off with that game that Pickford scored an own goal, but a quite incredible double save at the end, uh, and then decided to fall on the floor and make some sort of Italian hand gesture to the fans uh, to signify the save, but massive save that because point on the board for them uh if McBurney had scored that and they'd lost that Everton then Deich might have won the sack race but he might survive the international break now with that point um other fixtures boys so uh yesterday Crystal Palace beat Wolves uh 3-2 after I tweeted at uh half time at 0-0 saying that the game should never have been on TV uh it was an absolute disgraceful game odson edward brace uh as scored uh for those who've kept the faith of him in fantasy team have been rewarded uh yeah yes tomo uh and then for the wolves only sign of encouragement goal for huang uh late goal for kunya who who probably should have had four or five by now um obviously another loss for them and not ideal but two goals for them um and they'll be looking to build on that even though the wrong side of the result and i can put to bed that you never see Selhurst Park in daylight or Palace win in the day because they did do it. So fair play for shutting me up with that one. Uh, Brentford uh, versus Bournemouth. So ending in a two-all draw. So Brian Embuemo scored again. Um, Jensen put them in front. Dominic Solanke equalised. Uh, looked like David Brooks might have won it for them, but Embuemo scored in the 90-plus third minute. But uh, that only made up for a chance that he should have already uh, buried on his left peg earlier in the game. Uh, and then just looking back to Friday night football, we had uh, the first game at Kenilworth Road. Luton lost again. Uh, West Ham, Jared Bowen scoring again. Uh, and Kurt Zuma grabbing a goal. A late consolation, which pissed me off so much because I had um, West Ham's keeper, Ariola in my fantasy team. But a late goal for Luton. But again, no points. Uh, I'm not changing my point of view on them. I don't think they make it to double figures uh, in the Prem. Boys, we'll quickly move on to the EFL. Uh, Lauro, I think for anyone who listened to the last pod, um, Leeds obviously got a great win against Ipswich. We're absolutely buzzing about uh, the the team that they were building. They've made more signings on uh, on deadline day and look really strong, but um, just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net against Sheffield Wednesday. No, we couldn't. And that that can happen. And like I've alluded to a couple of times, sometimes when a a game is such a home win against a team like Sheffield Wednesday, the complete dynamic of what you come up against changes and it becomes more of a let's not concede rather than let's try and play a game of football. Um, Having said that, we had a couple of guilt edge chances that we should have put away and we will on another day. So um, I've said it a few times. I I trust massively in Farker's process. And I think we'll be uh, I don't think we're too far away from going on a massive winning run. 
Um, but as you've seen elsewhere with the championship results this weekend, anything can happen in that league. And you never know, that point might be a, a valuable one come the end of the season. Hopefully we'll be in the title shakeup. Yeah, it's it's interesting point in that you see that like Leicester um, lost at home to Hull, which wouldn't have been expected. Uh, Norwich lost away at Rotherham. So maybe, you know, for all all the the thoughts that Leeds would go and win that quite comfortably, maybe it's a point back on the pack. So, yeah, good but result. Talk about the championship with Leeds, Leicester, Norwich, Southampton. Can either of you tell me, without looking, who's top of the championship right now? Yes, Preston. And, yeah. and, it's, and it's because I... I saw that Will Keane got a brace for them, and I thought, obviously, Will Keane, former United, always had a bit of a soft spot. Is he is he a brother or are they twins of um of Michael Keane? They're definitely and, they're definitely brothers. I don't know if they're twins. Yeah, and they might um, be. he's he's the top scorer in the championship now. He scored four goals and got one assist in in five games in the league. Um, so but that's the championship for you, isn't it? Yeah. Did but, I, yeah. We, we, we talk about all these teams week in, week out. We go into the internet. I mean, Leicester were on maximum points last week. We have a one weekend. We go into the international break and a team that we've never even uttered a word about on this podcast sit top. And Preston North End, probably a good time to say it. Very good manager in Ryan Lowe. Um, his assistant was Stephen Schumacher, who's down at Plymouth doing a really good job. Um, and maybe they're the one that comes out of the pack and challenges this year because they're normally there or thereabouts sort of um, a, a difficult team to beat. And maybe having a look at the playoffs in the last few years, not quite got there. Maybe they're going to be up there this year. Good start. Yeah. And I think that signing was 300k cost them as well, which is just like pennies now, isn't it? Um, and looks like he might be a really good sign in uh, a team. I did always fancy to have a good season, actually Preston. I've always spoke highly of them. So yeah. <laughs> uh, and a, uh, a massive win for Sunderland as well. Five uh, nil. Uh, against Southampton and I think their last goal was some 18 year old who did three Maradona spins and crossed it in for a 16 year old to score so certainly achieved more than what I was doing at 16 but a uh, great win for them and hopefully kickstart their season but yeah just shows the the fine margins in the championship well do, do you want to just come on to that game quickly yeah, go on. so obviously Southampton have had a good sort of a solid start to the championship season haven't they they and they've um they've dominated the ball in every single game um, and they they once again they dominated the ball here, but obviously Jack Clark gets the opening goal, and that was a sort of um, a good example of how the whole game went. Southampton gave gave the ball away in a dangerous area, and um, Sunderland just broke. And every time they went forward, they looked like they they created really good chances, and obviously they they managed to score five goals. Um, they they had thirty two percent possession and won five nil. It's like yeah, you can tell when Tegel's done some research, can't you? Because normally you go for a brew when we talk about the championship in the EFL, <laughs> and suddenly you're talking about Sunderland's possession stuff. Yeah, yeah, but I, I just you're, watched you're, you're, the EFL highlights then, obviously, um, um, about half hour ago. So I thought I better chip in this week. No, I like it. Yeah. I can I applaud the research, mate. It's great to see. Yeah, it's nice to see Tegel two good goals for Equa, and uh, nice to see Bradley Dak back on the score sheet. A good player career hampered by injuries but um hopefully he's found a home up there in Sunderland where he can show his quality but Tony Mowbray as well good manager I like him and hopefully Sunderland, Sunderland will be up there I'm sure they will be um they've got Leeds old boy Jack Clark who I cannot believe he's still only 22 seems to have been around for years he's played for wow. four or five different clubs but um what a player he is and you never know maybe there'll be one that's up there as well yeah I just wonder if the uh Loch Ness Drogba 
uh, Stuart is regretting that uh, that move to Southampton after Sunderland's five goals. Um, Laura, you asked the question of the boys of who's top in the championship. Can you tell me who's top of League One? Only uh... on goal difference. Only I'll give you a clue. Only on goal difference, and the teams they're ahead of is Bolton, Stevenage, and Port Vale. Portsmouth, Laura, no, I I live near them. Fucking we... Bridport, <laughs> Exeter. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. One one away at Burton. Um, they beat Reading, beat Carlisle. They lost at Portsmouth, but drew with uh, Blackpool and won at Wickham. They're now on thirteen points from their games. Uh, I say ahead of Bolton, Stevenage, and Port Vale. Uh, Bolton were the the side that we focused on with Derby um, in the preview pod last time out. They went and won that game two one against Derby. Bit of a blow for Paul Warren. Um, Conor Hurahan put them one up. Um, and then Dion Charles scored, but a red card for for Derby in the second half and an own goal kind of killed them. And they're on nine points from six games. And I just wondered if the Derby leadership is starting to get a little bit edgy with that start. And I really hope Paul Warren doesn't get sacked because, you know, we've got a bit of an affinity to him. Me too. I, I think at the top of that table, like there, there's like, what, 14 teams that you could see going on a run and being right up there. And that happens quite often in League One. So... If I like, we've spoken about Paul Warren loads. If I was Derby at the moment, I'd just give him a little bit more time because all of a sudden you'll ask me in November who's top of League One, and it could be Derby by 10 points. Um, interestingly, though, in that league, the bottom three I think have scored something like three goals between them. So after 18 games combined, Burton, Fleetwood, and Cheltenham have scored three goals. So um, it might be anyone's game at the top, but it looks like there's a clear vulnerability with a few teams at the bottom. So, uh, yeah, relegation places are uh, shaping up a little bit more easily to predict than maybe the top of that league. Yeah, and then just quickly on League Two, we previewed the uh, Tranmere-Wrexham game um, and, and what was actually a, a local derby. Uh, Wrexham won it 1-0. Um, Hayden scored in the second half. Good result for them, but out of the two promoted sides that came up from the National League, uh, not them who had the table, it's actually Notts County. Uh, they beat Accrington 3-1 at home and moved to top of the table ahead of MK Dons and Gillingham. Gillingham, a team that Laura had uh, predicted to be up there. But again, three points separate first to ninth in that league and then a further three points down to 18th. So that's that's League Two for you and uh, the results and the positions swap every time. Boys, we'll finish how we always do. Uh, Lauro, again, I was lucky enough to get to the game on Saturday. Um, Yeovil, Chelmsford. I thought Yeovil played really well. Um, bit of a late sucker punch with them going 1-0 down, but actually managed to get back into the game and score another late goal. Thoughts on that game? Yeah, I thought it was the best performance of the season. I thought that sort of game can happen where you you press and press and press. We had a couple of guilt-edge chances again that we didn't take. Um but I just think, I mean, we're starting to get, I mean, it doesn't look great that we're out of outside of the playoff positions in National League South after seven games, but it is only after seven games. And a lot of the, I'm starting to hear some murmurs of discontent with Mark Cooper, but we're not going to get a better manager than that in the National League South. He's re, he's going to be really good. And by the end of the season, I guarantee we're in that title shakeup. And when you look, you talk about a late goal on Saturday, we've had a lot of late goals this season. Ollie Thomas against Truro, uh, same with Jake Winnell. Um, Newball came off the bench the other day to, to score against Tombridge Angels Reese Murphy got a late goal against Haven. these are all substitutions that the manager's making and it's very very difficult to judge um, 
the league table at this stage of the season, but also individual results. We just spoke about League Two, Notts County at top of the league. They lost their first game 5-1 and everyone was talking about the pressure being on their manager because he's young. So let's just give it at least till 10 games, but really 15 to 20. But my overall thoughts on Yeovil is I'm quite pleased with what I've seen so far. Um, and when it clicks, we will go on that winning run. And I do think we'll be right up there. Again, no disrespect to the rest of the league. Some good teams. I've been really impressed with the standard, but we are the, the best team in that league. And I think we'll be right up there. And like as everyone knows, I think we'll win the league. Great stuff. And a day at the seaside for us tomorrow as well, uh, away at Western Supermare. Um, I think if we play anything like we did on Saturday, then hopefully this will be the game where we score some goals and get a comprehensive win. So, yeah, we will reflect on the next pod for that. Boys, that's all we got time for. Um, I say we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll have a look at the League One and League Two action and obviously any of the big international results. Uh, we'll be a bit closer to the Prem coming back. Uh, yeah, and we'll just reflect on the England games. But, boys, a pleasure as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week and I'll speak to you all soon. Take care. Cheers.